This morning, 12th chapter of Romans, we begin in verse 9. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, and showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. This is the word of God for the people of God. What is the good life? How would you define it? There's lots of different versions of what makes for one living their best life and what the good life looks like. A lot of those versions in our country have to do with fame and notoriety and wealth. They have to do with a lot of external things often where you can show somebody else that you're living the good life. Paul points us in a little different direction suggesting we look inside even though as we develop these characteristics he points out we can also embody them in terms of how we live so as thinking about these different versions of the good life i've remembered a joke i think kevin tully one of our former associate pastors told me this joke he had a wicked sense of humor always has a joke ready he's serving in texas now in the united methodist church south of dallas i get to see him every once in a while and talk but here's how the joke goes several men are in a locker room of a golf club there's a phone on a bench a cell phone the phone rings the man closest to it goes over and hits the speakerphone feature and says hello a woman's voice says hello honey are you at the club he says, well, yes, I am. And she says, well, I'm at the mall. And you know that coat I told you about? I found it again today. I was hoping maybe I could buy it. What do you think? And he said, now, how much was it? And she said, only $1,000. And he says, oh, go ahead and get it. <laughs> she says, well, thanks so much. In fact, I had a little time earlier today, and I dropped by the Mercedes dealership. That car, you know, I was telling you about, the one I'd seen advertised on TV, they have one just like it. I was thinking maybe we could get it. He said, well, how much is it? She says, only $90,000. He says, wow, does it have all the options? She says, well, yes, it does. He said, well, let's get it. She says, oh, honey, thank you so much. There's just one more thing. You know that realtor I've been talking to? She called me, and that house we've been looking at that I've been telling you about, it's back on the market. He says, well, how much do they want for it? She says, um, $950,000. He said, you know what? Let's offer them $900,000. I bet they'll take it. She said, oh, honey, thank you so much. I love you. We'll talk later. He says, okay. All the other men in the locker room are aghast. They are wondering what they just witnessed. Their jaws are dropping open. As he turns off the phone, he looks around and says, does anybody know who this phone belongs to? (laughs) I love the surprise ending of the joke. 
But you know, if we live like that, we would create so many problems. When we are dishonest or disingenuous, we create ripples of problems going places that we can never predict. Paul points us in a different direction in this letter he writes to these early Christians in Rome. He says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul's talking about how relationships work best. And he's trying to tell these early Christians what that looks like. And he's encouraging them to be honest and genuine. And yet that's really not enough, I don't think. Have you heard of this movie called Free Solo? Free Solo. It won the Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2018. It tells the story of a mountain climber named Alex Honnold. The free solo part, if you're not a mountain climber, means that these fellas climb rock faces, often thousands of feet into the air, free, without any ropes, without any assistance, and solo all alone. And this Alex Honnold is really good at it. He set several records of climbing rock faces or mountainsides faster than anyone ever has before. But the movie focuses in on his desire to climb this rock face called El Capitan in Yosemite National Forest. 2,900 feet it goes up, and he's going to climb it with just his hands and feet to hang on. It will take hours. The movie shows him practicing with buddies helping him with ropes at first and often he's slipping and falling off but he's talking about whether or not he can do this free solo there's a subplot in the movie where he's written a book and he's at a book signing and a young woman comes in and she's taken with him she leaves her phone number when she leaves the book signing. He calls her later. They get together. They get to know each other. They become acquainted. They begin to date. And before the movie's over, they're in a serious relationship. And she says to him, as she watches him practice and slip and fall, does it make any difference to you that I have concerns about this? I'm worried you're not going to make it. Would our relationship make any difference in terms of you deciding to try this or not? And he says, no. Just very matter-of-factly, no. His relationship with her makes no difference in terms of what he's going to do. Now, in other parts of the documentary, we also learn some things about his childhood. That he was raised by parents, he says, who never, ever gave him a hug. And never once said to him, I love you. We're also told that they do some MRIs of his brain. They show him scenes of fear and disasters, which make most people's brains light up in certain sections. No response in Alex's brain. He doesn't react to fear the way most of us do. 
but he also doesn't react to other kinds of feelings in terms of relationships either. He's very honest with the young woman when she asks him about whether their relationship would make a difference in terms of his decision-making. But he misses the part, I think, about mutual affection. He misses part of the recipe for the good life. As Paul writes it for us, love one another with mutual affection, he writes. Outdo one another with showing honor. That is how you treat someone else. Last Sunday, we read from the verses earlier in this 12th chapter, and Paul talked about that we are all part of the body of Christ. We are connected to each other. We are members, he said, one of another, because we're all a part of the body of Christ. This week, Paul is elaborating on that interconnectivity of our relationships and trying to describe how those relationships work best. Listen to this passage again. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints or to others that are a part of the body you are a part of, and finally, extend hospitality to strangers. Last week, Paul pointed out that it's important to renew your mind as a way to discern the will of God. The portion we're focusing on this week urges these early Christians, urges them to do the will of God, discern the will of God, but then also act on the will of God. Notice all the verbs that Paul uses here. Hold fast, outdo, be ardent, serve, rejoice, persevere, contribute, extend hospitality. Throughout this passage, it is a call to action. It is a call to do something in response to your faith. I think Nike may have stolen Paul's adage here in their most popular ads when they say, just do it. Are you a follower of Christ? Then just do it. You want to be a disciple? Then do it. Act on your faith, make a commitment, follow through, serve, rejoice, pray. Be zealous about your faith, he says. Watching the recent storms roll up the coast of the Atlantic reminded me of a story I read a long time ago. It's about a fellow who was a farmer on the Atlantic coast He needed help on his farm as he got older. He was always looking for someone to hire. But once they realized what the job was and how all their work could be blown away in a moment, nobody wanted to work for him. But finally, one day, this older, smaller man came to apply for the job. And he asked him, are you a good farmhand? And the only answer he would give is, well, I can sleep when the wind blows the farmer thought that was peculiar but 
That's all that he got, and he really needed help, so he offers the guy the job. And sure enough, he is a good worker from dawn to dusk. He is out in the fields. He is working in the barn. He is a self-starter. He's ready to go. He's taking care of business. But then one night after they had both gone to bed, a big storm rolls in. The winds are blowing. They're howling so much they wake the farmer up. He runs next door to where the hired hand is sleeping, pounds on the door and says, Get up! Get up! A storm is coming! And from inside, he just hears the hired hand say, Well, I told you I can sleep when the wind blows. The man is furious. He's ready to fire the fellow on the spot, but he knows he's got to get to the fields and the barn to get things taken care of. So he rushes out into the fields only to find that all the haystacks are already covered with tarps and secured. The cows are already in the barn. The chickens are already in their coops. The doors of the barn have already been closed and locked. The shutters have been closed and are secure. Everything was secure. Nothing was going to blow away. Because the man had already taken care of everything before he went to bed. I want employees like that. I want friends like that. I want to be a person like that. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be part of a church that acts, that is willing to put their faith into action, that thinks ahead and plans ahead. So when the crisis comes, they're already, everything's taken care of. If a church is growing in faith, clear about its core values, working together, planning ahead, then when the crisis comes, there's nothing to worry about. The church is going to continue to move forward without any problems. How about you? Are you prepared? When the crisis comes to your life, are you prepared? Can you sleep when the Wind blows through your life. Paul is encouraging these early Christians to live their daily life in such a way that they are prepared because they've already been praying, they've already been meeting together, they've already been serving, they've already been opening themselves to God's Spirit and leading, they've already been loving one another. So when the crisis comes, everything is secure because they have prepared. God, through Christ in the Bible, gives us the recipe for the good life, for a secure and abundant life. Paul tells us that love and focusing on what is good, showing honor to each other, having plenty of energy, serving the Lord, listening to the Lord, rejoicing together, being patient and suffering together, persevering in prayer, contributing to the needs of one another, and extending hospitality to others who might come our way is the recipe for the good life. And Paul promises, as do the Gospels, that moving in that direction puts you in the right place to experience God and the abundance that God intends for each and every one of us. 
read recently one of those studies where they've looked at certain characteristics across the United States and then they group states in order of how well they've done. This particular study was about educational attainment. They grouped states into five different categories. Guess which category we were in? In the bottom one. I get so tired of reading these studies that put Oklahoma at the bottom of these lists. I understand we have work to do, but it just seems like more often than not, the things I read about our state are so negative. And I know there's another side to the story. I've lived here pretty much my whole life. So I did a little research to, about some of the things we have accomplished and people from Oklahoma have accomplished. Did you know the aerosol can was invented in Oklahoma? The shopping cart invented in Ardmore. The first parking meter set up Oklahoma City. The first yield sign right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's pretty cool, but did you know the electric guitar was also invented in Oklahoma? Which state has produced the most astronauts in the history of our country? Most people wouldn't guess, but it is our state. It is Oklahoma. When we have corporations like American Airlines and Amazon investing in our state, when we have people who are willing to give of their wealth to develop a place like the gathering place for people to come, not only from across the city and state, from across the country and around the world. It makes this a good place to live. Did you know that we're in the top 10 cattle production, wheat production, natural gas production? I didn't know this, but we're in the top 10 in pecans and peanuts and peaches. We're feeding the nation. We're fueling growth. But for me, really, as I thought about it, Oklahoma is such a good place to live because of Methodist people. I knew it in my hometown. I grew up in Okmulgee. I went to the first Methodist church. There were great people there. They shaped me and formed me and supported me throughout my life. They gave me hope. They taught me about Christ. They sent me to camp. They provided Sunday school teachers and youth groups. They supported me when I began to feel a call to ministry. And I thought these are the best people in the world. And then I came to Tulsa out of seminary and found the same kind of people here at Christ United Methodist and here at Boston Avenue. And then they sent me to Enid. I didn't really want to go. But you know what I found? Great Methodist people. They were salt of the earth folks. They were leaders in their community. They were serving. They were helping. They made that a great place to live, not just for me and my family, but for anybody that might come. Then I was sent to Stillwater, and I had 50-plus churches all around Stillwater to supervise. And you know what I found in those small communities around north-central Oklahoma? Great Methodist people. In the last six years, back here with you all, 
the same kind of experience. So when I read about Paul saying he wants Christians to love genuinely, to hold fast to what is good, to serve the Lord, to take care of each other, to pray together, to extend hospitality. I know what he's talking about because I've experienced it right here with you all. Paul believes that God is at work in the world for good. And he wants those early Christians to be a part of that work. And so he gives them this recipe telling them how relationships work best and how they're to treat each other and how they're to treat others because they are followers of Christ. It's the recipe for the good life. It'll point you in the right direction. It'll be a blessing to you if you follow it. It is the promise of the gospel. May it be so for all of us.